1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Our guest today is Shane Connor. Shane is the vice president of Bull Realty's senior housing group, and he specializes in the acquisition and disposition of institutional quality senior housing and healthcare related properties throughout the Southeast. Shane brings over eight years of healthcare industry knowledge. A thousand units of commercial real estate acquisitions, and he's supported Fortune 500 clients like Anthem and United Health Group. Today we cover all things senior housing, starting with what we usually think of senior housing, which is nursing homes. So we're going to take this episode to really blow apart and get detailed on what senior housing is, defining some subcategories of these senior housing facilities, describing acuities, and then really getting into the trends and unpacking trends that are affecting the industry, including the blend of healthcare and housing, increased consolidation, aging in place, And tourism developers, which is that category of developers that are getting into the space looking for returns and quickly finding out that they are getting a lot more than they bargained for because as we dive into in this episode, senior housing is not just a real estate asset to purchase. It is a healthcare business. Residents' lives and livelihood is at stake. And there are many, many opportunities in this space for the right investors, for the right operators, and even for the right developers. All right, Shane, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So this is a big topic for real estate investors and certainly something that here at Alpha, um, we continue to um, be very interested in as investors. So today we're going to talk all things senior living, senior housing from um, the investment perspective. So I think the best place to start um, is to define senior living, senior housing, like First of all, even me, like, which is it? How do we define it? And, you know, let's talk about that. Cause I think most people, if you say, you know, senior living as an investment or anything, they'll think nursing homes. But as we know, it's so much broader than that. So, you know, what, what's your take on that? Let's define senior living.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, a theme that we talk a lot about in the industry and operators have been talking about for quite a long time is that we do have an education issue. I think sometimes it's exacerbated through the, the media you know, we usually hear like bad stories about nursing homes and i think for most people when they think of senior living or senior housing they kind of just have the idea of a nursing home right and obviously it's much broader than that if you look at the earliest stages of what could be senior housing and just an age-restricted apartment 55 and older all the way at the other end with you know skilled nursing folks in their late 80s or 90s you're talking about you know four decades worth of demographics and you know, four decades of aging. So it's hard to just put one broad stroke on it, but most people, when they hear it, that's kind of what they, you know, assume. A lot of nurses running around, very sick people, very kind of dim and dark, you know, atmosphere. And so you really kind of have that spectrum. We call it kind of the senior housing spectrum. As I mentioned, the earliest stages, sometimes it's qualified as senior housing, sometimes it's not, but your apartments, you know, apartments that are just age targeted, for folks that are 55 and older and there's really nothing different about it than a regular apartment multifamily just that it's all folks of the same demographic. Then you've got active adult which is going to be a little more programming and amenities and some services geared towards the lifestyle of an empty nester, you know, some resident engagement directors, maybe you've got yoga and wellness, you know, things that those people are looking for at that stage of life, but still no health care involved, and it's really still an age-targeted apartment building. Then you've got independent living. So as we're moving across the line, that's when you're starting to pay in your monthly rent to get maybe some meals. You have a central kitchen component. You've got some transportation. You maybe got some laundry service, but by and large, these people are still coming and going as they want. You know, they're not really sick at all. They still have all their independence about them. It's called independent living. Then you're going to age a little bit more, and then you're going to get into assisted living where, you know, you've got active daily living needs, ADLs, and that's where we're going to start to wrap in some of actual healthcare component. And today, we're really getting more to a healthcare environment with assisted living. You know, folks may have three or four comorbidities. They're on a variety of medications. They need help bathing, showering, dressing. You know, they're they're much uh, sicker and more acute than they were previously in these other environments, and now they've moved along. This could be a freestanding building or these new campus settings are going to have, you know, a lot of these in one area. So you build a new building, independent living, assisted living, an offshoot of AL would be memory care. So usually it's lumped under assisted living, but it's basically dementia, Alzheimer's, which if you peel back the demographics, unfortunately we're projected to have significant rise in people over the age of 65 that are going to develop you know, a dementia and Alzheimer's disease, and these require very strict units, kind of locked down. A lot of times you have them in either just a, a square or a hallway so that folks can't really get lost if they're out walking around. And then the most severe and acute environment would be skilled nursing, and that's the nursing home. That's what people think about a lot, and that's two phase. It's short-term, you know, post-acute. So you, you have a surgery, you need to go somewhere that's outside the hospital for a short stay. Those are skilled nursing facilities, but primarily what we're talking about, what people think of is long-term care. So you're going to be in this environment, you're, you're very sick. You need kind of registered nurses, round-the-clock nursing care. And that's the way end of the spectrum, the most sick, the most acute. And then a CCRC, Continuing Care Retirement Community, are large plots of land developments that would have all of this on one site. And ultimately you could enter in at, you know, one stage of your life and kind of make your way you know through the different subtypes but you're not having to leave kind of where you are, so the adult children. can kind of settle in or bring you to where their life is and know that mom or dad or grandma and grandpa's is going to be in this same area, as opposed to constantly shuffling around testing new communities and figure out where we want to go.
1: Thank you for that. That was very detailed. Really, really great to, to take that across. So one word that comes up a lot is acuity. For those that don't know, what does acuity mean when we're talking about senior living?
2: It's, yeah, it's basically like the level of healthcare issues you're having or the, the level of sickness. So when we talk about hospitals, you think of a big hospital with an ICU and an emergency room. In the healthcare industry, these are referred to as your acute care hospitals you know, high acuity is ICU, ER, you need round the clock care. So when we talk in levels of acuity, it's like, how sick is the person? How many comorbidities do they have? You know, basically how much help is this person going to need? How many medications they are gonna be on? And as you get older and potentially sicker, your, your acuity level rises. And that's why you can't be in the apartment building anymore, right? You can't be in the independent living anymore because you need help with all of these things that only medical uh, and licensed professionals really in a much structured care environment can give you. And that's why you age into the other buckets.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's really clear. So, you know, in in looking at this industry from the perspective of investing as investors, as real estate investors, one of the, what I really wanted to talk about today with you is trends because the trends are changing. This is probably the most demographically driven of real estate investment categories. And then there's also a lot of misunderstanding from potential in like direct investors that don't really understand that it is an operational business for the most part and a healthcare business which you know we'll, we'll talk about. So let's unpack, you know, these trends. And and the first trend that that we were talking about is that healthcare there's this healthcare housing blend. So, you know, let's unpack this trend first and can we talk also when you do this about these average age of move-ins, because I think the other thing that we are not always clear on is that the ages at which we need this change, and it's not like a one and done that you're only going to be in an active adult community, like eventually, most likely, as you were saying, you're you're gonna end up in memory care. So, anyways, that that's right. the first trend.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the the blending of, of healthcare and housing, I think is a trend that we've seen continuing in COVID really blew that one wide open and I think it's quite apparent now unfortunately you know a lot of what we saw in skilled nursing you know with how the COVID cases really ran through early on in those environments but ultimately what you have is people that are now in assisted living a lot of the operators that I talk to are reporting you know average ages of 88 to 90 years old with two or three comorbidities you know and a handful of ADLs active daily living needs and so you look when you think about that is what's priorly been developed is we talk a lot about the baby boomers and the ten thousand people every day that turn 65 and that's why people talk about senior living but if the average age is 88 in assisted living you know it's 20 some plus years away from when they turn 65 we shouldn't even really be talking about 65 year olds right and we shouldn't a lot of the development that got done had you know these big pools and kind of the spa-like amenities and the bistros and the bars, but what a lot of people are now reporting on the ground and buildings that are out there with you know occupancy issues and residents in them is that you know they're on medications, they can't go to the bar and they're very sick, and they're not using the pool because they're moving into these because they have to now they have no other choice. So basically, the phrase is they're showing up older and they're showing up sicker, and that's why the healthcare blend becomes even more important. And so one of the things that we can do, and we did a show about this a couple of weeks back with somebody who's really in tune with value-based care and contracting with at-risk groups who, whether it be Medicare or Medicaid or the payers are already kind of being paid to be at risk for a population. They just so happen to be now living in your buildings, but you can be bringing in you know doctors to do rounds nurse practitioners to do rounds to be building care plans for the residents in your building that's not you doing the health care but you're bringing more of a healthcare component in because that's what your residents are going to need and if they're on a government reimbursement they want to keep them out of assisted li- or skilled nursing as much as they can because it's going to be a little cheaper to keep them in an assisted living environment so they'll will be paying to bring these healthcare services in. But I think it's becoming more apparent that these operators understand, especially at AL and memory care, they're in a healthcare business. It is a healthcare environment. And a lot of these amenities and these bells and whistles, you know, I think we gotta be thinking about, these are gonna be built more for these active adult communities, maybe the independents, but you've got a large age gap there where we were focused so much on the boomers and the 65 and up crowd, but we're seeing now in the real data that they're two decades away from even being in, they're not going to show up there until they have to.
1: Yeah. And the, the thing too, that we've like, we've noticed and, and I'm sure that you have is, and we'll talk about this a little, a little bit later, but really, I think the point, the really important points are that it is a healthcare business and that there's like a values based approach because this is as people driven as it gets like the, the quality of life right of the residents not to mention the the people taking care of them the nurses like
2: it's an operations business wrapped in real estate it's a care outcomes business and a good example actually is I recently had a uh, preferred equity fund reach out to me and Mm -hmm. ask me if I could just help them look at a deal it was a ground up development deal for assisted living they had never done senior housing before and so they sent over the stuff and I looked at everything and I said, hey, can you ask these four or five questions of the operator? And they were surprised because my questions didn't really have much to do with the market study or the real estate itself. I was asking, like, ask them about their turnover, ask them about their culture, ask them about their leadership retention. It was all these things that really had not a lot to do with the real estate. But ultimately, as we went through the process, I got them to understand these are the really the most important because if they're not hitting these metrics and they're not doing these things well, it doesn't matter what the demographics study says. It doesn't matter how nice the building is. There will not be people in these beds. You're not going to make your pro forma. You're not going to be happy. And so it's just I think it's a great example of how you know newcomers kind of looking in are totally surprised that you really have to be putting more and more emphasis on the operator and what they're doing to drive good outcomes and good uh, care. Because at the end of the day, when if I'm going to put my mom in a building, those are the questions I'm asking. And I, I just want to know how good is the care going to be here? Is the caregiver going to be the same? Or are you going to be constantly turning them over there because you don't have a good leadership culture and you're going to be recruiting the bottom of the barrel, right? What are you paying per hour? Are you, are you rising with Rising minimum wages. Are you paying above market to recruit and retain? Other real estate asset classes, even though they might have some operations components, none of these things are really as important as they are. You know, especially in AL and memory.
1: Yeah, that's been our experience as as well. So we're we're seeing that, and I think COVID really kind of like blew the roof off of the expenses, like across the board. So it's a really good point, and. You know, one of the, the, the things that, that is the challenge in this industry for, you know, <laughs> let's say from uh, Alpha's perspective of, of like what we like to invest in and, and the operators is that there's this vertical integration between somebody who understands the real estate and understands how to position it. And more importantly, understands the operations and you know, what we expect. And I know because we've had these conversations is some increased consolidation in what is a very fragmented industry. So let's unpack that trend of increased consolidation.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think we're going to continue to see that. I think, as you mentioned, it's very fragmented. You know, you have uh, a percentage at the top, whether it be 15 or 20% of the very large owner operators, you know, ASHA top 100 that own, you know, hundreds of communities. And then you have, you know, the mom and pops at the very other end of the spectrum. So long time owner operators where they are the business, right? They may be the ED themselves, they may be the administrator and the owner, they've ran this community for quite a long time. You know, ironically enough, a lot of these communities, you know, were ones that held up, better in some cases than some of the bigger buildings throughout COVID, you know, remained high in occupancy, but it's put them through a, a very big challenge. They've been stretched thin on expenses. You know, they're not backed by private equity funds or, you know, public equity funds. They don't have the purchasing power, right? If you remember PPE, when COVID first started, People couldn't get PPE anywhere. And I talked to a few people that were backed by some large capital partners that were like, yeah, we're just going to China directly. We're bypassing the supply chain. Well, if you're a, you know, a 40 bed mom and pop operator, you're not going to China directly to buy your PPE, right? You're you're having to struggle to find ways to do that. And you don't have a lot of capital partners behind you. And now the staffing piece, right? some of these states we see are going to 15 an hour. You know, if you're at 10 or 11 now, that's a drastic change to your one, you know, P&L business. But if you're a regional operator, you have some purchasing power behind you, you have some scale. You may be able to absorb that a little better. You're already getting proactive with paying above market because you can afford it and your partners are okay with that because they're looking at the long term. But if you're an owner operator, you were going to retire anyway in 5 years. You're saying You know what? This whole COVID thing has been brutal. I'm tired. I'm gonna get out of the business now. And a lot of them have their net worth and their retirement trapped inside the business. So they need the exit to move on to that next stage. And I think those are prime candidates for good regional owner operators now that have maybe 10 or 15 buildings to be able to just kind of easily absorb them within their regional management infrastructure that they already have. Maybe it's three or four hour radius. They can kind of fold those buildings in without too much kind of hassle. They're a well-known name maybe already in the community. So there's not as big of a change because it's the other thing in senior living, right? These these families have kind of built good trust with that owner operator, that mom and pop. And it's one of the reasons their occupancy has stayed so high because they built a great reputation. And some of these people, when they exit, I remember there was a gentleman I talked to, It was a group of doctors, they bought a 30, small unit, 35, I think it was, assisted living up in the Pacific Northwest. They were the lowest, one of the lowest bids, but that operator cared so much about the legacy that he had built that he knew this group of physicians was going to provide the best care and keep the legacy on. So when you're looking at acquisitions of these smaller, long legacy owner operators, sometimes it's just price. Right. Sometimes it's shorty of close, but sometimes it's also a balance because they don't want to tarnish the goodwill and the reputation that they've built within the marketplace. But I think you're absolutely right. A lot of consolidation. It's gonna be harder to be in this business as like a single site as we move forward. So
0: given those trends, one thing I've always found surprising about the space, right, particularly given how operationally intensive it is, how important the management is, is why so many of the owner-operator sponsors in the space are focused on ground-up development as opposed to acquiring mismanaged facilities and and improving them, right? And so in your experience, why why do you think that that's the case? And, And just as a point of reference, you know, I talk about this often with, with some of our investors in senior housing deals. I remember being at a conference, you know, a few years ago, a senior housing conference and just took a survey out of the room, you know, of real estate or of senior housing sponsors. You know, how many of you work in development and, you know, 98% of the room raised their hand and how many work on acquisitions? And I think there were three people, you know, one that we invest with and two that were on their first project. And it's so like, what? why is that the case given you know, the trends that, you know, we're seeing and you're seeing.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I, I, fortunately I just had a call this morning that was just talking to this point and I'll, I'll kind of use his quote, but basically they, you know, this is a vertically integrated company, 39 projects to date. And I think 36 of them have been ground up development. And so we were talking about the residents and the care outcomes. And he used the phrase to relate it to kind of software world user experience. And he said in user experience, the hardware matters and the software matters. And so he was talking about hardware in, in the sense that they like to develop their own buildings because they can really have a, a say and an influence and really put their own footprint on what that building is gonna look like. The design might be different from market to market, it's not programmatic. So yes, they can acquire buildings and they can turn them around, but when they're in it from the infancy stage from dirt through they can really get a sense on what building is going to be good for this demographic because senior living is so hyper local so niche in each submarket to submarket so if you're you know all the way from the beginning of zoning and approvals through completion you're developing your own building i just think you have a lot more chance of success getting your culture uh, and your operations to win there, as opposed to trying to fit your mold into what somebody else's vision was for that given market. So I think you're absolutely right that I think more and more people wanna be vertically integrated. They're gonna develop, they're gonna own, they're gonna operate all under one umbrella and they're gonna to continue to scale their portfolios from 20, 25 to 50 buildings in the next decade. And a lot of that will come from ground up development. So I think you're, you're spot on with that trend.
1: And, you know, speaking of like of trends, I, an, another one, which could be seen as a challenge to what we're talking about, which, you know, we're kind of talking about a little bit more up the kind of mid acuity scale is the, in the independent living, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's where they saw the, the biggest vacancy increases during COVID, right? This, this idea that, well, if I don't have to go there, then I may as well stay home. So what I'm getting at is aging in place. And is that a headwind to, you know, the, this industry that clearly has, you know, a, a spectrum. But let's talk about the aging in place because a lot of people will say like, yeah, but I'll just stay, I'll just stay home.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point. And I always like to say when you sit back and you actually stare into the sheer demographic growth from now until 2050, when it's it slightly... Uh, tops off i think don't quote me but i think it's pretty accurate 2034 i think is the year when there's more people over the age of 65 than under 18 in the u.s so we will need all solutions you know i i don't believe that senior housing or bust you know i'm not i don't bash home health i don't i think we need all the solutions for a variety of reasons one we just need that much solutions because there's that much demographic two there's going to be a lot of personal choice right i think aging in place is good i think home health is good but i think they can all marry together so if you look at assisted living now that's the needs base like you said il had the most vacancy people are still showing up to al now because they have to you know even if you add home health and you have technology and services you could still get to a point where it's just it may be more expensive to be at home because you're paying for two caregivers round the clock to be in your house, right? Or the social aspect, which, you know, doesn't get talked about a lot when, you know, I think it was Biden's infrastructure plan came out and there was like 400 billion towards home-based and community-based services, which is fantastic, right? We need more investment there, but then you get the headlines that say, oh, senior housing's dead, you know, 400 billion in home health infrastructure. but. The reality is, is that's not the case. And there is the social aspect also that you're getting in the once-based product and you have it in the needs-based product too, right? You have very specialized dementia and Alzheimer's programming that's based on research and experts that know how to best stimulate the environment for those people. And you have social engagement. And so I, I look at like my mom who, She's 62 or three, unfortunately a widow with my dad passing away a couple of years ago. She lives at home, she's healthy. She'd probably stay there for a couple of decades, but you know, she's already experiencing some issues of loneliness. And one pa- thing that doesn't get unpacked is that loneliness really accelerates the decline in someone's health. So just because we could get all the bells and whistles and somebody could live at home, if they're literally at home by themselves, is that really the best environment for them? So I think aging in place will help people that don't wanna go into the one lifestyle, active adult community There, that's not for them. That will help them stay there until they get to that, okay, I need to be in assisted living. I need to be in a healthcare environment. Others will say, yeah, I wanna age in a community. I wanna live around empty nesters right? I'm a widow. I want to maybe meet new people who are also at that, you know, stage or point in their life. We want to travel uh, and do things together. Well, you can only get this living in that kind of community because it's it's curated for you and it's, it's kind of put together. So that's usually my uh, feedback to that is I think it's great. I think we need all of it. We need all of these solutions because when I talk to a lot of developers, you know, they even say, yeah, I mean, it's probably 15 years out, but when we really get into the demographic growth, we probably won't even be able to keep up with all the supply. So we need more people to age at home. You know, if you look at the penetration rate, the national penetration rate on senior housing is what, eight, nine, 10% today? So we still have a pretty big industry and we're barely even scratching the eligible population that could live in these communities.
0: How do you think about all of that? In the context of affordability, right? Because you don't have the at home caregiver. the same degree you did historically right i think some of the numbers i saw like the ratios dropped from seven to one to, to four to one recently meaning you know there are more women in the workplace they're not the primary caregiver for you know their husbands or partners at home you have younger generations that are scattering geographically from from where they were born and so that just creates you know more need and more demand but at the same time those groups, you know, have affordability issues that are more extreme than, you know, than prior generations. And so like, what, what's the end result? It seems like a really challenging situation to, to deal with, but I'd be really interested to hear your perspective.
2: Yeah. So that's, you know, you hit the nail on the head, the middle market, and we just did a show on this with a leader in that space and unpacked a lot of this because you're absolutely right that. So the first point that you unpacked, I could not agree with more. I'm an example. Was born and raised in Philadelphia. I moved to Atlanta 2012 you know my mom is still in Philadelphia we're you know years ahead of when it, this would have to be a thing but if all things stay equal we won't be there to kind of take care my wife is from Phoenix we're in Atlanta we're not there to potentially caregive to her parents when that time gets right and if I look around a sampling of the friends that I've made here they've all moved away from where they grew up and that's a new kind of phenomena that we have that prior generations didn't have, right? They were all kind of right there in the same town. Everybody could chip in. So I think you're absolutely right that the caregiver ratio is not there. But on the affordability piece, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people are not gonna be able to afford these 5,000, 6,000, $8,000 a month buildings, but they may have more assets or more income that would qualify them from, where they don't wanna spend down their assets to go to medicaid or be on true you know income subsidized housing so what does that mean we need something in the middle some of the things that i think are working there and operators are looking to do is okay let's trip out what we don't need right if we go back to the earlier conversation if they're showing up older they're showing up sicker do we need all the other bells and whistles no if we're looking at a work blue collar workforce generation one of the operators said what they do with food is you know, their food programming is pretty basic. You know, it's good. You know, it's beans and rice, meat and potatoes, that kind of thing. And then they'll updo it for special occasions because that's also what this particular demographic was used to in their life. They eat kind of pretty basic and then they had a celebration for a birthday or a holiday. And we were comparing that to some of these, you know, newer luxury type buildings that it's five-star meals and shrimp and lobsters and all that stuff. Well, you can strip a lot of that out and just get down to a good bones of a building with a good culture and good caretakers that's what these people are going to need and i think the price point that they were talking about was like 2000 to maybe 3000 a month which is drastically different than 4500 to 6000 a month so you're absolutely right you know people are still recovering in in that demographic a lot from the 0809, you know, 401k crisis that a lot of their net worth was dropped and they've been rebuilding that. And so, you know, a lot are not going to have a five to $800,000 nest egg that they can convert to then live in these buildings for a few years. You know, we're going to be seeing dollars stretch a lot thinner. And I think to me, that's the biggest, both challenge and opportunity in senior housing is how do we get more affordable Quality middle market product out into the uh, marketplace.
1: Yeah. It's a lot to consider. You know, I know when we are, as you know, we're, you know, looking to work with more senior living operators that kind of fit this standard that we have, you know, we have a unicorn basically that we work with Kevin at Titan and we've done um, some podcasts with him. And, but, you know, we've talked about this, how there will be more companies that may be a little bit newer to the space, like a few years old, but if they can really get all of this, right, there's a huge opportunity. and We believe there's a huge opportunity. And I wanted to I wanted to shift um, just slightly because as part of this, there's the real estate, there's the healthcare component, there's a tech component that I think we don't talk about a lot. And I know that you um, have some insights into that. So could we spend a few minutes on, you know, is is a category senior tech. I know there's health tech, lots of health tech, but there there are people and companies out there that are building solutions to help, you know, from the healthcare side but all the way to the operational side. I would just, I'd love to touch on that and the impact that you think it's going to have in the overall space of senior living.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, tech it's an interesting space. So, you know, I think operators are really looking at, you know, embracing these kind of solutions. I think some are more ahead. You know, if you look at company that I spoke with a few weeks back, you know, they actually had somebody's job title is like head of innovation. And so this all they're doing is thinking about what are the products, what are the services? How can we be building the buildings differently, bringing in sensor based technologies, consolidating EHR platforms, taking legacy call systems and doing away with them or upgrading them because yeah, you know, a lot of the mom and pops, a lot of these buildings don't have any technology. I think one of the issues that some of the operators have expressed is that they're overwhelmed with not really knowing what's a good solution, what's a bad solution. There's a lot of money getting thrown into the space and a lot of products being built. But yes, I do think Things like sensor-based technologies, looking at helping to reduce falls or cutting down the the response time from falls, caregiver and kind of operating type systems that, you know, can link all of the the workforce within a community onto one central application so that if something happens, they can load a message in, it goes out to everybody, okay, they can respond. That's kind of all captured. You have some audio-based technologies that are being put in whether it be Bluetooth or another way that they can kind of, the resident can kind of call out and, you know, activate the commands, whether it's I need help or emergency. There was one, I forget the company, but there was one example where they were able to kind of monitor that, okay, this, you know, Mr. Smith gets up every morning at X, he opens the fridge. He, you know, he eats his breakfast and that creates a routine. Well, without actually knowing what's going on, but just sensing today there's a disruption. This is a everyday routine. There's a disruption in the routine. They can kind of intervene and get ahead of, okay, maybe we need to bring in a physician or a house call. What ultimately may have been a hospital visit was stopped because the technology helped them notice a disruption kind of in, in their pattern. So I think tech is going to play a huge role, whether it be from Building these buildings to be equipped for communication. We saw that now with the lockdowns, right? No visitors in, nobody out. Well, how how do we keep these people connected? You know, within the community, if they all had to stay within their doors because COVID was going in the building, but also with their families. So we were doing Zoom and we were doing FaceTime. But how do we make more of a solution within the community? How do we wire up these uh, rooms? to make them tech enabled so that they can easily, you know, engage with, because that was one of the things that were, people were hesitant to move in. Even after the community start to open up, people were like, I don't wanna move mom or dad in if all of a sudden then we're not gonna be able to see them anymore. And so as, you know, older people have gotten more used to using technology that maybe they didn't before, I think it's gonna be the new standard now that these buildings are equipped for all kinds of communication a virtual face and stuff like that. But I think the biggest impact is probably on the, you know, prevention and sensor based and kind of bringing caregivers and management all on one platform to respond to things and be reactive or proactive as, as opposed to reactive. But I think the challenge is going to be, you know, getting through because a lot of these operators especially the smaller ones like you mentioned they don't have a head of innovation right they may have somebody that's wearing three or four hats and now evaluating technology is one of them and then two how do we get the cost down to a point that it's you know going to be easy to to install where it's not going to hit the bottom line too much and it's not something that's too big that they try to pass on to the resident and now all of a sudden it makes the rental rate something that they can't absorb so how do we bring solutions that are going to be easy to use? Will it make an impact, and will it be cost efficient? Because we don't want to install the tech just to install the tech. No one's going to use it. I think that's the other feedback that I've gotten: is we want to make sure that this is actually something people want and it's going to make a difference. Yeah, that,
0: that's really my question. You know, in in practice, how receptive are the current generation of seniors to? You know what I imagine they think of as invasive technology that's taking their private information, right? I think about my own father in his 60s and turning the Wi-Fi off every night. You know, thinking someone's going to hack us, right? And so, you know, how how does a 85, 90 year old think about technology playing such an important role in their life going forward?
2: Yeah, you 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 know you hit the nail on the head there as well. I think you know the privacy concerns are are huge, not only from the residents but also really evaluating this technology and saying, is this, you know, what's our compliance issues here? Are we, you know, crossing a line that we shouldn't be crossing? But yeah, the adoption has to be there. I think an education piece is going to help with that. I I heard one operator that actually hired a, I think part-time, but they were moving towards full-time, kind of like a tech, I forget what the job title was, but it was basically they built a little on site tech center. So if residents were having trouble with, their computer and had a virus or they didn't know how to use this application, they could just walk down and you know meet with the on-site tech guy. and I think through that, having somebody there to talk through the issues with them, let them know it's safe, it's encrypted. Here's how we're keeping your data safe. I, I don't think it'll be an on and off switch. I think it'll be a slow adoption. Some people will adopt at first, others will be very hesitant. But as the demographics grow, when we get years and years later, it will eventually be the norm as people now who are older adults that are 15 years away from moving in, this will be the standard for them. So I think the folks that are in the buildings now, yeah, I don't think it's going to be, hey, guess what, we're installing all these sensors in your room tomorrow. (laughs) That's not going to go well. I think it's going to be a slow, gradual implementation that will end up 10 or 15 years down the line you'll be a dinosaur if you don't have stuff like this.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a so much to consider. And, you know, when we kind of step back and, and take a look at it from the perspective of investors as we are and investors with a focus, like it's really important to us. I would say like with heart <laughs> that like the, the quality of life is so important. And so much of this again is about healthcare. It is quality of life. It, it, it's it's so many multiple things. And you know, we know that there's a lot of opportunity in the future, probably shorter term. You know, we've talked about this fragmentation and this consolidation is probably going to start to accelerate. That's what, you know, that's what we expect to. And even though we take this perspective of investing and and building wealth, which is really important, it it highlights to me at least the how much is fundamental to you know to ev- basically to everything i mean you can't have wealth yeah. without health and you know i think it's really important for all investors to understand the nature of this business so that they're also not too many degrees removed and and thinking i just only want to invest in something for the cash for the returns because there's there's so much more you know there's so much more there and i'm glad that we talked about all this unpacked a lot of that because you know even as as people might be out considering other types of investments with operators developers like those are all questions that they they need to be asking to do the right thing
2: 100% yeah i think you know you look at the people that have been in the, the there's a lot of multi family generation operators in this business and you can tell that they've you know withstood the test of time because they care. They're about outcomes. They're about health. They're about the residents. They're not just some real estate investors that thought, wow, this is a you know a sexy asset class. Let me get in. And so I think those are great examples of the type of operators and the type of investors, right? You know, it, it takes operators and investors to successfully do this. The capital is just as important. You know, operations might be a little more important, but capital can't work one can't work without the other so you know i think people that are going to be attractive because just like i say with home health we need all solutions we do need more people getting into this business we need more operators starting and growing portfolios we need more investors coming over to the space but they need to be aware of what this business is what it really means really the pleasure you have in providing a space and a a place to live for older, you know, generations, but also that, you know, that comes with great responsibility. And I think, you know, COVID may have, you know, started to weed out some of the ones that weren't as, you know, committed to that side of the business, or just maybe just they had great intentions, but realize it's more than they want to chew on. And so I just, I always encourage people, you know, because I came from you know, LP investing in multifamily. That's, that was my first exposure to real estate. And so I know a lot of people kind of in that world and people talk about all the time is just silver tsunami, the baby boomers, the demographics. I'm going to get into senior housing. People are getting older, but it's like, I always kind of just encourage them to like, listen to podcasts like this, do your research because it's not about just throwing dollars in and getting dollars out. Like if you want to do that, there's, Lots of other asset classes, like go do single tenant net lease or go do whatever. But yes, there is great opportunity. And yes, we need more people in, but like, please take time to get educated and have the right reason that you're doing this uh, because you can do good and do good financially.
1: Yeah, I love it. We believe the same thing, the exact same thing. So Shane, last question that we ask all, all of our guests, and that is what does wealth mean to you?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think through all the life experiences I've had in the last few years, I think, you know, wealth to me means health, being able to get up every day and do something that you enjoy and, and have you know a passion for doing, but also time. I think, you know, if anything through COVID, we've seen that whether it's the acceleration of working from home or hybrid working and the blending of work and life and how quickly you know, things can change and people were here one day, they were gone the next and people didn't even get to have a funeral. So I think wealth for me is is kind of realizing what is important. You know, I, I'm an investor, I'm trying to build my actual bank account wealth, but at the end of the day, that won't go with me, only kind of experiences will. And so try and do good through the work that you do, but ultimately realizing that it's experiences, shared experiences, uh, and time with family and friends that should really supersede just everything everything else Yeah, beautiful.
1: Well, Shane, thank you so much for um, spending so much time with us today and like really digging into it. So informative and, you know, we're going to include links. So where people can find you and connect with you. And for those listening, when Shane mentioned the show, it's because he does Clubhouse every Tuesday at five Eastern. Wednesday, Wednesday, sorry. Wednesdays at five Eastern and he puts out great content, great guests. So for those that are even more interested, in the nuances, like that's where to, that's where I first found Shane. So, but we'll include some links, but you know, any kind of last maybe words about where else people can connect with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we should get you guys on to talk about, you know, investing, making the journey from multifamily to senior housing investing. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great show. They can find me pretty easily. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. My email is just Shane, S-H-A-N-E at bullrealty.com. Happy to get in touch with anybody, help them evaluate a project they might be looking at or certainly help sell or buy uh, any of their buildings.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Shane.
2: This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode and especially we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alpha And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is
2: a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.